0: So let's, uh, let's continue our studies in God's word and um, those of you that have been here for the last couple of weeks will know that we are studying the most exciting thing, the Baptist Union Declaration of Principle, which doesn't sound very exciting until you start looking at, into it and you realise it's, it's a very concise and neat way of describing what the church is all about And uh, I hope you haven't found anything too much to disagree with so far. Um, So let's just have a reminder. That's the first part. There are three parts of this principle. The first one, that our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, is the sole and absolute authority in all matters pertaining to faith and practice, as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. So that's Jesus, as we read about him in the Bible, is our authority. And then the second part that we began to look at last week, that each church has liberty under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to interpret and administer his laws. So last week we thought of two examples in the New Testament, in the Acts of the Apostles, where they got together, the church, the gathered church, to sort out, first of all, a practical issue of food distribution, and then a doctrinal issue, what should we believe, and and is it necessary for Christians to become Jews before they can be fully accepted by God, Uh, to which the answer is no, which is good. Uh, So now we go on to the second part of the principle, and... um, not surprisingly, the second part, being a Baptist church, is about baptism. And, uh, you know, most people think that that's the main thing that defines a Baptist church. But actually, the first part is equally important, that the local church is the, the, where, the place where we discern the mind of Christ. But uh, Baptist Union Declaration of Principle, that Christian baptism, is the immersion in water into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, of those who have professed repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day. So we've been listening to a story, we've we've had it kind of enacted by me, and then we've had it straight from the word, from Margaret, uh, of this incredible uh, story of Philip, uh, who came from some obscurity, one of the deacons serving on tables but remember last week I said that actually one of the qualifications to be a servant on the table was to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and indeed so Philip was taken from that duty uh, to be an evangelist and eventually to meet this very significant person and how difficult it is to leave a successful ministry when God calls you but if God calls you then you've got to go Uh, And you may not know why he's called you, but you will find out if you follow in obedience. That's the way it works with God. Uh, Especially to go to a place where there doesn't appear to be anything going at all, uh, a deserted road, and that's uh, quite some step of faith. But it was that one person that he met, an Ethiopian, uh, that was the significant person that God wanted him to meet. Uh, interestingly, I preached on this passage in a in a tin, a large tin church in Kenya, and uh, it was very hot. And in the middle of my sermon, a, a very heavy tropical thunderstorm started, uh, and it poured down, and you could hardly hear. But in true Kenyan style, I had a microphone, and I was going Way," you know, um, to try and get over the um, uh, over the over the noise of the storm. Anyway, interestingly, I preached on this passage, and I said what it's about. He's actually a Muzungu going to meet an African. Because uh, Philip was a, a white-skinned man, although he came from the Middle East, so he would have been slightly uh, sort of dark in complexion. But he went and he met an African. Uh, and it was through that one step of obedience that the gospel went into Africa. Isn't that incredible? Uh, and uh, so and the, the church is growing faster in Africa than many other places on in, in the planet. So really exciting, and especially when about six people came forward at the end of the service, for, you know, it was really, really quite exciting to be in that situation. Um, yeah. Interestingly, I was in a conversation in Swahili with a lady in the uh, checkout of the range yesterday, so um, if, you, if you see her there, say, say, um, say um, to her, which means praise the Lord, she'll be very happy. So, um, so this man, this Ethiopian, who was he? Well, he was a God-fearer. He was a God-fearer. So he, he, he wasn't a Jew, but he was a God-fearer. So he believed in God, and, uh, and he was also a Bible reader. You know, you can be a God-fearer, you can be a Bible reader, but that doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. Uh, in order to become a Christian, something else had to happen. He, he, he feared, he read, but he did not understand. That's the point. He was on a journey. He was on a journey from ethiopia or from jerusalem where he'd been to worship with other god-fearers back to his own country of ethiopia um he was also on a spiritual journey he was searching he was trying to understand he was reading but he didn't understand and so he asked this very very pertinent question who is this passage about and very key as i said earlier uh, oh thanks steve yeah that's um i should have been doing that by now shouldn't i no excuse now. I've got my own little controller. Thank you, very much. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, a wonderful opportunity. Have you ever been given an opportunity when someone asks you such a leading question? It's great, isn't it? I mean, most of us are a bit wary about evangelism because we don't like to push ourselves. But when somebody asks that kind of question, you have an open door, don't you, to to begin to explain the faith that you know um, so as we are told in the New Testament always be ready to give the reason for the hope that is within you and um, that's exactly what Philip did he seized the opportunity Let's have a quick look at some of the verses in Isaiah 53 and uh, 52 and 53 if you've got them open in your Bible um, the, the worst that he was getting he was led like a lamb to the slaughter who was this he in this passage well, if you've read the Book of Isaiah, you'll know that there are several passages which refer to a servant. My servant will be highly exalted, and um, there are four of them altogether. They begin in about uh, Isaiah forty-two, and then they go through to this passage in Isaiah fifty-three. Who are they about? Well, um, the Jewish people don't know who they're about. Sometimes. The passage appears to be saying, my servant is Israel. Sometimes the passage seems to be saying, my servant is someone who is going to come and minister to Israel. Um, It's a bit uh, difficult, indeed, to to entangle who it is. And and as they go on, these passages get more and more perplexing because this servant begins to suffer. Suffer. Uh, like a bruised reed in one of the early passages, but then later on, the full-blown suffering of the servant in Isaiah 52 and 53 is a mystery to many people, especially the Jewish people. They can't work out who it is. And, and so actually, they don't read this in the synagogue. Uh, I've been told on, on great reliability from um, people who understand the Jewish ways better. These are passages they don't read, I wonder why. Are they are they scared that if they read them they're going to find out who it is? I, I don't know. I once was at the um, SACRE meeting in Exeter, which is the Standing Advisory Council on Religious Education. It's the committee that sets the RE syllabus for the whole of the county, and I was on that for a few years. And um, there are representatives there of different faiths, because we need to teach religious education about, about. we need to teach people about all faiths. And the, the the Jewish representative was there when we were actually talking about Holocaust Sunday, uh, Memorial Day. And, uh, and uh, he said, this Orthodox Jew said, he didn't, he didn't um, celebrate Ho- Holocaust Day. And he was one of the Jews that didn't celebrate it because he said, actually, we have enough festivals. We have Yom Kippur, which is the day when we think of the suffering and the day of atonement. Um, we, we don't need a modern festival because Jews have suffered throughout the ages, not just in the Holocaust. That was his, his view. So I said to him, well, well, tell me, I've always wanted to know, how do you interpret the passage in Isaiah 53? Do you know what he said to me? You'll have to ask a rabbi. And he gave me the phone number of a rabbi in London. So I phoned this rabbi and asked him. And, you know, they're just very noncommittal about trying to say who this passage is about. And yet, once our eyes have been opened, it's so obviously about Jesus, isn't it? Once we know Jesus, just listen to some of these verses. My servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. Those of you who know the Handel's Messiah will be hearing those words come across in music, won't you? A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And uh, then, of course, we get, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Can you just kind of imagine Philip in this chariot explaining line by line what this is about and how the, the Ethiopian must have been going, kind of, oh, yes, ah. Can you, can you just imagine that conversation? Or maybe you've had that similar experience yourself as the gospel has suddenly come clear to you. And um, and then it says he was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death. There you are. he's met, he's buried in a rich man's tomb. And then he goes on to say it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. That's a hard one. Jesus was obeying his Father's will. And although the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. Who are his offspring? And me. Isn't that fantastic? And um, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. In other words, it even points to the resurrection. Those of you who have got the NIV Bibles will note that um, of life has got a little bracket around it. Can you see that? And, And that is because... That little word of life is in the Dead Sea Scrolls version manuscript, which is the oldest manuscript of Isaiah that we have, uh, but it isn't in the the, the Hebrew, um, uh, the, the, the the what's it called Masoretic text. But it is in so just one little tiny difference. But but apart from that, that scroll is 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 identical to all of the more recent manuscripts. Those of you that are on the Alpha course will understand we test how good the the, the manuscript is by how many copies there are and and you compare them to see. So, uh, just a little bit of interest there. Anyway, as he continued to explain, the Ethiopian understands this is the risen Lord Jesus. Uh, He's got it in his head. And no doubt, when it says that this happened for, for you, it went to his heart as well. I don't know. He was a wealthy man, um, but no doubt he was a sinner as well. It became appeared to him that he needed a saviour, and that saviour was Jesus. So what's the next question? Why shouldn't I be baptised? First question. He's not even asking which church he should belong to. Probably wasn't a church in Ethiopia. There wasn't. (laughs) Why shouldn't I be baptised? In fact, the Good News Bible translates it rather well. What is to keep me from being baptized? It's a negative, isn't it? It's a kind of a saying, why should not I not be baptized? It wasn't why should I be, but why should I not? What is to keep me from being baptized? And then if you read through uh, Acts uh, 8, you'll notice that um, there's no answer in the main text. But if you look at the footnote again, as you probably already aware, have a look at the footnote in an NIV Bible. And you'll notice that uh, verse 37 is missing. Can you see that if you've got your Bibles open? Um, in in the, the main text it says, Philip, um, where are we? Look, here is water, why shouldn't I be baptized? Verse, that's verse 36. And verse 38, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then they were baptized. But some late manuscripts... Verse 37, Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So what is is to keep me from being baptized? Only if I don't believe. It is believer's baptism that, uh, that we're talking about. If you believe, there is nothing to keep you from being baptized, is another way of putting this. The Ethiopian says, I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Son of God. His eyes have been opened. spiritual spiritualized and he's seen the truth. And so they go down into the water and they come up out of the water. Philip disappears back to the next thing that God has for him. We don't know what that is. Um, and the, Philip, the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing because the Spirit of God is now inside him. He knows that Jesus is his saviour. He doesn't need Philip there to encourage him. He's, he's got it. wonder what happened when he went back to the court, to, the, uh, to the, 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 the chief, whoever the king of Ethiopia was, I wonder. He must have told people, because that's how the gospel has got to Africa. And it, and it looks like it started through this one man, uh, the Ethiopian. So baptism is a a stage on the journey of faith. Um, The Ethiopian man continued his journey physically. He continued his journey spiritually. Now he's started this journey of faith, uh, and he's now come to faith. He's been baptized. So the question is today, um, what is distinctive about what Baptists believe about baptism? Well, um, this is the, the, the statement, and you notice. Let's look at a bit at a time. Christian baptism is the immersion in water. Now, as you know, we in Baptist church baptize by immersion, and that's why we have a pool here. But you don't have to do it in a pool. It can be in a river, or a lake, or the sea, uh, or in the middle of a desert. That's pretty amazing to find water, actually, isn't it? It's not too much water in that picture that you saw. That was actually the desert, by the way, where that road. Um, So it's about immersion in water. Now, the very first British Baptists were two people called John Smith and Thomas Helwys. They'd been coming to uh, a growing conviction that baptism was about faith and not just something that was done to babies. That actually it's about faith of the believer and that the Bible teaches that it's by immersion. And so, in 1612, Thomas Helwys and John Smith baptized each other, and and they began um, what is the the, the, what our, the Baptist movement now was begun by those two men. They su- suffered greatly for it. Actually, they were imprisoned and uh, they were persecuted. They they were in Holland, uh, and then they came over to this country. So we owe our, our Dutch brothers and sisters. Um, for the faith that we have. But these two guys had this total conviction that baptism was something that should go with faith. Now, how can we look at that biblically? Well, um, notice what happened in this story. The, the Ethiopian went down into the water. There's a very clear indication that they went into the water, and then it says, and then they came up again out of the water. So they went right into the water, um, so this is why, uh, one of the reasons why we would say immersion. The other reason is the word baptize is actually a Greek word that's not been translated. So baptizo is a Greek word and they've just left it in the English language now because of what it means. It means to dip or to plunge. So uh, one example of where it's used is in the Last Supper in John, in John chapter 13, when Jesus is talking about the one that's going to betray him, he says, it's the one with whom I, to, to, to whom I dip the bread. I baptize the bread, he says literally, and give it to Judas. So it means to baptize, it means to dip under, That's the actual meaning of the word. Now, clearly, in Christian tradition, uh, baptism has become something about sprinkling in many, many churches, and uh, I'll say a little bit more about that later. But the biblical meaning is actually to dip or to plunge, to immerse. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing... Oh, yes. Into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, those of you who are... Bible scholars will know the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. But here in Matthew uh, 28, verse 19, it says, Go therefore into all nations, baptizing, uh, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the Father, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's it's a kind of being immersed into the full life of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. When we come, Christians, we know that God is our Father, Jesus is our Saviour, and we receive the Holy Spirit inside us. And so baptism is a symbol that actually we're entering into this covenant relationship with the fullness of God. It's also part of discipleship. Notice Jesus does not tell us to make converts. He tells us to make disciples. And baptism is part of that discipleship journey of faith. The next thing, it's about professing repentance towards God. We've no idea what happened that uh, Ethiopian, what he had to confess, but when we come to baptism, um, we, we must turn away from the things that we're saying goodbye to. Now, I know that's not always that easy, is it? Some of us who have been baptized uh, many, many years, will know that we have often fallen short of the standards. And, but baptism is about repentance, and that's originally, of course, the first two we hear of baptism in the Bible is John the Baptist. And his baptism was a baptism of repentance, turning away from sins. Um, now, um, some Christians in history have been rather worried about this. They have uh, thought that, you know, well, I better not be baptized, or I might sin again. One person who was particularly worried about this was was, was the Emperor Constantine, the first Christian emperor of Rome, and he delayed baptism to his deathbed because he was so worried that uh, he might sin again after he was baptized, and it would cancel it. But that's that's not true. Um, you you you. you if you sin after baptism, uh, then you can be forgiven. You'll be pleased to know. But it must be an intention to turn away from sin. Uh, and, you, you know, you're not baptized and then deliberately go back to your old ways. But actually, there must be an intention, there must be a repentance towards God. And no doubt, the Ethiopian was delighted to hear that the, the suffering servant that he wanted to read about uh, had, had borne his transgressions. Jesus, when he died, took your sin away. So when we're baptised, it is a symbol of that washing of the sin that that, that, that mars us. And uh, so there is repentance involved. So if if people want to be baptised and they don't show any indication of turning away from the things that are wrong in their life, then they shouldn't be baptised until they've sorted it out. As best we can. Okay. Okay. It's about repentance. It's also about faith. It's about the baptism of believers. So if anyone says we practice adult baptism, that's not true. We practice believers' baptism. And so the youngest person I baptized was seven. Uh, She's now a graduate of Oxford University and going on with her faith as far as I know. Um, And as uh, Glyn said to us, it's about... um, anyone who who is able to make a decision for themselves, old enough to be responsible, to to understand at their level. Now, obviously, a child of seven does not understand uh, as well as somebody who's uh, in their teens or or later, but um, it's not about understanding. It's about believing that Jesus died for us and accepting him as a personal saviour. That's quite simple, and actually a child can understand that. So that's why we in the Baptist Church don't baptise babies, because babies obviously don't know what's happening to them. It's something that their parents are doing. It's a step of faith by their parents. Um, and in the Baptist Church, we we will do a dedication service for infants. So we will do pretty well the same thing. We'll pray for them, we'll ask God to bless them, uh, we'll give thanks for the child, but we don't actually stick water on them, because we believe uh, that that it's got to be when the child is old enough to make that decision for themselves that we will baptize people. Uh, Now, having said that, I'm going to come on to this question. We, uh, five in Baptist Church, are what's called an open membership church. That means um, to be a member of this church, you do not have to be baptized by immersion. We accept people from other traditions where the teaching is different. So a number of you have come from Anglican or other traditions, maybe. Um, and you may well have been baptized and confirmed. You, you have personally confirmed your, your vows. And for you, that was really meaningful. For some people, it isn't. Uh, and for some people, it isn't. But for some people, it is that when you have personally confirmed those vows, you might well consider uh, that that is your baptism. And uh, my view, personally, and, and the actual view we constitutionally take as a church, is that actually we respect those views. So uh, there are some Baptist churches that are closed Baptist churches, and you cannot join unless you've been baptised by immersion. Um, so, but we respect um, that. So that's worth having a conversation about if required. Uh, But one thing I want to say is baptism is not a destination. It's a beginning. You notice the uh, Ethiopian didn't say, well, when I've achieved sufficient spiritual progress, I'll be baptised. No. As soon as he believed, what is there to prevent me from being baptised? Nothing, if you believe. It's not something you're going to try to uh, aspire to, but it's the beginning of a journey of faith. And that's why, um, you know, when when you've believed, there's no reason why you can't be baptized. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Well, there are a few reasons that people give. I'm scared of the water. I don't want to get my hair wet. It will spoil my hairdo. Um, I might look foolish. Yeah, you do actually. Um, one one of the interesting. Um, baptisms I did at, uh, at Totterdown was um, uh, an Iranian couple, and um, they, they'd come to faith because uh, Nazi had had a dream about Jesus, and her husband Baz, um, he was the uh, 2005 British heavyweight wrestling champion. He he's a big guy, and um, in actual fact, the, the baptism was leaked at that time. It was the first baptism I did, and. Before we repaired the baptistry, there wasn't a lot of water. But I, I said to him, "Baz, this is the first time you've ever submitted to another man voluntarily." <laughs> and uh, and uh, but you know, it is a foolish thing, isn't it? It looks pretty stupid to uh, be allowed yourself to be put under the water and back up again. But we're called to be fools for Jesus—not called cool for Jesus, but fools for Jesus. And um, so, yeah, you might say, well, I don't. Uh, there's all sorts of reasons. Um, I've been baptized as an infant. Well, I've already said that's something we can talk about, and that will depend on your decision about that. So, we respect other traditions in that. Lots of reasons why not. Reasons why do you believe in Jesus? Are you willing to turn from your sins? Do you desire to follow Jesus? And do you want to identify with Jesus and his church? If the answer to those questions is yes, then there's no reason. Except one word, which I've got, is obedience. So we are called to be baptized, to repent. Uh, on, on the day of Pentecost, do you remember what Peter said? He said, uh, they said, brothers, what shall we do? And uh, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, I thought it would be good just to set out how we as Baptist churches um, identify... Oh, sorry. That's it. That's, that was the last slide. That's the really important question. Why shouldn't I be? What we believe and uh, and how we live our faith. But I say, we, we live in, in relationship with others and other churches, and uh, it's important that we respect our neighbours because we're not saying we're right, everybody else is wrong but we are saying this is what marks us out as a Baptist church this is what we believe